Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. All right, so we've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, so let's pick up in Luke chapter 6. All right, that's my introduction. Let's go to Luke 6. <laughs> Luke chapter 6, I want to start on verse 1. Luke 6, 1 says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some of the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them and said, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that he might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to them, stretch out to your hand, And he did so, and his hand was restored. And they were filled with fury and disgust with one another, what they might do to Jesus. As we start looking at Luke chapter 6, I want us to consider what John told us in John 21-25. John told us in 21-25 that there were so many things that Jesus said and did that you literally couldn't even record it in all the books, in all the world. So the question we have to ask ourselves today as we're reading through this text is why did Luke record this? If there's so many things that Jesus said and did, why is this here before us? Why does it follow the wineskin account in Luke 5? The last thing we read last week was Jesus giving a parable about the wineskins and how, old, how new fabric can't be sewn to old fabric and how new wine can't be put in old wineskins because it's gonna ruin the old wineskin. You need new wineskins for new wine. But the people who like the old stuff are not gonna like the new stuff. That was the last thing that Luke told us about Jesus. And now he goes into these two stories about the Sabbath. So the question is, Why did Luke do this and what is he trying to get us to see? Well, the answer to that question is Luke is painting for us a picture, a contrasting picture for his readers. 
Luke wants you considering something as you go through and read the rest of Luke chapter six. He wants you, and for some of us, we be, we're unfamiliar with what it is that he wants us to consider because we're so far removed from the culture of the day. But you have to remember that Jesus, he's speaking to a Jewish audience who is very familiar with the Jewish story. Now many of us are unfamiliar with the Jewish story. So that's why we have to go back in and reconsider what's going on here. What Luke wants his readers to consider is the contrast of the old way and this new way. That's why he gave the story of Jesus talking about the old wineskin and the new wineskin, and then immediately in chapter six jumps into the stories about the Sabbath. Because he wants his readers thinking, all right, old way. Old way is Israel. Old way is 12 tribes. Old way is law. And now the old way has now led itself to these Pharisees who are now interpreting the law for everybody else. Luke wants his readers thinking old way like that. The old way was the old Israel way. The prophets, the law, and what it's led to. And Luke wants you to consider this new way that Jesus is bringing across. But the interesting thing about the way Luke is telling the story is it's not a completely new way out of left field. It is a retelling of the old way in new and greater terms. He's taking the old way, and he's now, he's taking everything that everybody knows about the old way, and he's retelling that story, and that retelling is the new and better way. So what you have was, the old way was, you've got Israel, you've got 12 tribes, the new way is Jesus. But not just Jesus the man, Jesus embodying the new Israel. Isaiah speaks about this, when he speaks about my son, Israel, and then goes into the prophetic uh, uh, prophecy of this son becoming a humble servant and being betrayed by his own people. So Israel, if you remember the story, it started with one man. And if you're following with our Bible readings, you're right on track with us. You know what I'm talking about. There was this guy named Jacob. God changed his life. And his name was Israel. So Israel was a man. And this man had 12 sons, and these 12 sons, they turned into this nation. And now what Luke wants you to consider is that old way is now being retold in this new greater way, and Jesus is now the better Israel. And this better Israel, he's looking for his 12, not 12 sons, 12 tribes, he's got 12 disciples. And the cool thing about this new story and the way that Luke is portraying this new Israel and this new way and how it, it, it points back to and, and, and has been foreshadowed by this old way and how these two things connect to one another, he wants you considering the fact that Jesus is here and he's now fulfilling the law and also the one with the authority to interpret it. That's huge. Because the old way has got a very small group of people who all say, well, that's what this means, so we all have to follow it. And now in the new way, God himself is coming to his people and saying, no, this is what I meant, and this is how you follow it. And in order to illustrate this, Luke gives us two Sabbath stories. The first one is picking grain, and the second is the healing of the man with the withered hand. Both happen on the Sabbath. 
And the stories are meant to contrast the old way of bondage and this new way of freedom. See, in the old way, man is a slave to the Sabbath. In the old way, it is a list of things you can do and a list of things you can't do on the Sabbath. You are subservient to this thing. But in the new way, when Jesus comes, Christ is Lord over the Sabbath. And in this story we find from Mark 2, 27, Jesus actually clarifies, the Sabbath is not created so that man would serve it. The Sabbath is actually for man. Man's not for the Sabbath, the Sabbath is for man. And as we start developing the story later in scripture, we start discovering in Hebrews 4, we studied Hebrews last year, so you're familiar with this, we start discovering that this idea of Sabbath, it's actually a mystery that when unlocked is a foreshadow of salvation and eternity. Salvation, or excuse me, the Sabbath is not this thing that we now have to to follow these specific laws and not do these specific things or do these specific things on this day. All of that is nothing more than a foreshadow of something even greater. The idea that Sabbath is an entering into rest. It is a foreshadow of you coming to Christ and ceasing from your work and that's not how you get saved. But even more than that, it's a foreshadow of eternity. It is a proclamation that when you come to Christ, you're gonna one day enter into a state where you're no longer gonna be striving against age and strength and sickness and sin. You're gonna enter into a Sabbath. And so that's the beauty of what Luke is trying to get us to see. He wants us to contrast this old way with this new way. Now this main contention here between the old way and the new way, this is gonna uh, be elaborated and expanded and, and teased out throughout the rest of the chapter. The idea primarily being that God things in the old way have been refashioned into man things. All of the things, the commands, the law, the prophets, every story in the Old Testament has been refashioned into a way to create bondage over the people, to shackle them, to control them. That's the issue that Jesus has with the Pharisees. The old ways were supposed to be a way of pointing to God, but now they only point to man and his desire for more power. David understood this. When he talks about the law, he's like, man, it's like honey on my lips. So how can something be honey on his lips, but also to this other group of people, it's a a bag of handcuffs that they hand out to people to keep them in line. It's about how the old way has become this thing that Jesus never desired it for. So what Jesus is doing, and what Luke wants us to see, is that Jesus is retelling the entire story of Israel by walking it out himself. This is really important for interpreting the New Testament. If you miss this, you're gonna end up off course when you're reading the Word of God. Because the entire story is God's story. And he doesn't just do away with everything before and now start new with these new apostles. The apostles' Bible was the Old Testament. And they spent all of their time 
arguing for God's ways by citing Deuteronomy. And if you haven't read Deuteronomy, you're not gonna understand what the apostles are talking about. Everything is refashioned and retold in this person, Jesus. He is recasting the entire Israel story because Israel was meant to be a light to the nations. But they took the oracles of God, refashioned them for their own selfish purposes and made it into, at at this point, a thing that serves themselves, that excluded the nations, pushed them away, and sheltered the people of God. They were actually judged for this, this is why we have the exile. Because they were meant to be a light to the nations. It's interesting, if you go back and you read the major prophets and the minor prophets, there are just as many oracles to the nations as there are oracles to Israel. God had a lot of things to say to Babylon. God had a lot of things to say to Assyria, to Nineveh. God sent a prophet to Nineveh. The whole purpose of God giving his message to his people was that those people would steward the message and be a light among the nations, but they didn't. And so what we have now, this new and better thing, is Jesus coming in and placing that light inside of 12 disciples, he's essentially not starting over, but telling the story in a new, fresh way. I'm gonna embody this thing, Israel. I'm gonna be the obedient Israel that disobedient Israel never could be. The disobedient Israel in the wilderness, I'm gonna be the the obedient Israel in the wilderness. This, This, theme, this motif, this this travels all throughout scripture. This is one of the core things Jesus came to do. That's why he took these 12 disciples. It's also the reason why there's so many of the Old Testament prophecies that are now cast onto the church and retold. It's the reason why uh, at the foot of the mountain, Moses tells Israel, you're a kingdom of priests, and that same language is used in Revelation for the church. Peter says it, Paul says it, all this language. Not because the church has replaced Israel, but because the church, God's people, has been adopted into God's people. And God's people have always been God's people. And so this is the fascinating thing that you see, Jesus taking on this new persona, retelling this new story, in embodying flesh, he becomes the Israel that Jacob never could be. He's got these 12 disciples and he sends them to the nations because he wants the light to get to the Gentiles and that's Luke's core message. That the good news of the gospel is getting to the Gentiles. Well, how's it gonna happen? How is that gonna happen when you've got a disobedient, rebellious Israel led by Pharisees and scribes who only want to hinder God's people and the message? How do you get that out? Well, God says, well, I'm gonna send my son. And he's gonna be the Israel that Israel can never be. And he's gonna take 12, and he's gonna start this thing from the beginning, retelling all the story, not forsaking it, not getting rid of it, but retelling all of it. So you've gotta know the story in order to understand how the story unfolds moving forward. But the core struggle here is this contrast between the old way and the new way. Let's continue with it in chapter six, verse 12. It says, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, 
and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon who is called the Zealot and Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Now if I'm, as I'm reading this, if you're starting to picture the characters from The Chosen, <laughs> you're watching too much The Chosen. Now here, listen to me, I love you and I love The Chosen, I don't have an issue with it. But if you're not careful, you will start allowing man's interpretation of scripture to be read into scripture and you're gonna end up way off track the further you get into the story. I'm not telling you not to watch it, I'm just telling you why I don't watch it. Because as a pastor, I don't want to read Matthew's name and picture the actor they have cast for that. It colors my understanding of scripture. That's important for me. For some of you, it may, it, it may expand your understanding of scripture. So hear me, I'm not telling you not to watch it. I'm telling you to be cautious of the way that any good meaning person tries to help you interpret scripture. Okay? All right, it's just because I love you. Verse 17. He came down with them and stood on a level place and with a great crowd of his disciples on a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Okay, can you see what Luke is doing after we talked about the last couple verses? He wants his readers thinking old way, new way. What's the old way? Old way, you got Moses up on a mountain. He comes down to the mountain and he's communicating God's oracles to the people. What do you have here? Jesus up on the mountain. He's praying all night. He comes down to the mountain. He addresses the multitude with the oracles of God. Jacob, Israel, he's up all night wrestling with God. Jesus is up all night. He's not wrestling with God, he's praying. Jacob, he's got 12 sons. They turn into the 12 tribes. Jesus, he's got 12 disciples. Israel was meant to be a light to the nations. Look who is here listening to him. Members of the city of Tyre and Sidon. Those are not Jewish cities. Israel is listening because they've come from all Judea and Jerusalem, but also the Gentiles are there listening too. So the scene is set. The new and better Israel is ready to deliver the new and better guidelines. How does he do it? He does it by showing this contrast of the old and the new. Let's continue verse 20. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and they revile you, and they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets." but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And woe to you who are now 
full, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So Jesus has now gathered this multitude and his disciples. And he's trying to communicate in the same way that Moses was trying to communicate to Israel. Here's the way we live, guys. These are the new commandments. This is how we do things. We're gonna be a people who follow him. This is what that looks like. Here's how you order your life. Jesus stands before the multitude and the disciples. And he says, here's the same thing. You wanna follow me. This is what it looks like. It looks like a life that is completely emptied of this world. It looks like a life that is blessed if you are poor in spirit. It looks like a life that is so at home in having nothing but him. It looks like a world that's not just at home and having nothing in him, but being blessed if you're hungry, it looks like a man who's at home because he desires nothing else, which is a huge difference between not having anything and not wanting anything. Because most people who don't have anything, they want a lot of stuff. And Jesus has said, if you're a follower of me, you're blessed when you don't have any of the stuff the world is trying to throw in your face, and you also don't want any of that stuff. But beyond that, blessed is the man who, when he doesn't have anything and doesn't want anything of this world, starts being hated by the people around him because this world doesn't like that you don't like the things that they like. Blessed are you. Blessed are my people who follow me when they look at this world and say, you have nothing to offer. And even if you were to create something else, I wouldn't want that either. And blessed are the people who live like that and the world who loves those things starts to hate them because of the Jesus that they follow. That's the new way. And it's immediately contrasted with the old way. He contrasts the old way and he says this, woe to those who get all they can now because you're gonna have nothing later. Woe to those who are so spent on satisfying their own desires now, you're gonna be hungry forever. What's he talking about? Hell? No, that doesn't exist. Not a real place, right? Jesus didn't teach on that. Oh yes, he did. He's talking about it right now. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about forever right here. Woe to those who pursue pleasure and laughter now because in eternity you're gonna be weeping. Woe to those who desperately want everyone to like them because the one person that you will need to like you won't like you. The king won't want anything to do with you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. That's what you're gonna hear. The old way and the new way. But here's the interesting contrast here. And if you, 
If you're starting to examine and you're starting to follow where I'm going, you're, you're picking up on this. The contrast of the old and the new started with Israel and Jesus. That's where we started in this chapter because we're talking about Pharisees, we're talking about Jews, but there are Gentiles here and they're not privy to what's going on. They're not familiar with the story, much like some of us here. And so what Jesus is doing is he's gone beyond, he's expanded this contrast and this understanding of the old and the new way. It certainly means the old way of Israel and the new way of Jesus, but it's now expanded even farther and wider. And now the old way isn't just Israel, old way is all of the old ways of this world. Now, everybody is caught in the net. You can't get away from this idea that in you is an old way. Maybe it's not Israel, maybe it's not the law, maybe you're not struggling with the Moses thing because you're not Jewish, but there's something on the inside of you that is the old. And Jesus is offering something so much better in the new. And so in the way that he's portraying the story, he's going from the old nature to the new nature. He's talking about non-believers and Christians. The old is all of the old ways of this world, and Jesus is offering something new. And he's saying that, look, the new, I understand, looks really appealing to the flesh. But if you give yourself to this, this, excuse me, I said that backwards. The old looks really appealing to the flesh. And if you give yourself to this old stuff because you want to be happy now and laugh now and we want people to like you now, you will spend eternity weeping and suffering. And I know that right now, the new doesn't look appealing to your flesh, but the reward will be so much greater. And so this is the contrast of the old and new. How is Jesus trying to get this new group of disciples and this new people adopted into the people of God, this new Israel, how is he trying to get these people to understand it? He's contrasting the old and the new and not just Israel. He's saying, look, there's an old way that you're familiar with. There's a way that you like to get your own way and manipulate things and put people in their place and and snub your nose to these people and, and spend your time with these folks, but not with these folks. And I'm telling you, living like that is gonna put you in eternal suffering. You may be happy now, you may feel be feel filled now, but in eternity, all that leads to is suffering. And what I'm offering is something greater. What I'm offering is an emptiness now. What I'm offering is a, is a looking at the world right now and saying, you don't have anything for me. There's nothing that, that you're, I don't want any of that. And the world's like, well, well how about this pretty girl? I, I, I don't want it. How about this new job? How about more money? How about a bigger house? How about more experiences? How about traveling around the country? How about traveling around the world? How about going to space? How about an AI computer that'll do everything for you and you just sit on your couch all day? It's never gonna stop. The sales pitch never ends. And if you don't deep down say to yourself, I don't want any of that. Christ has changed me. None of that's appealing. You're gonna keep going back to it like a dog going to its vomit. Let's continue verse 27. He says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good 
to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. For for, excuse me, for from one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do good to those who do good to them. If you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But I'm telling you, in this new way, love your enemies and do good. Lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Why do we have to live like this? Because this is what our Father does. This is how he lives. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So Jesus is contrasting two ways here. And he's saying you wanna be a part of this new thing? This is what it looks like. You've gotta love your enemies. But not just that, you've got to stop trying to retaliate. You've got to give freely. You've got to give so that you don't get anything back. See, the old way that he's contrasting here says love those who are easy to love. Only spend time with people that are like you. That way you never get upset. Stop going to family reunions. It's easy. Cut people off. Ignore them. People are not like you, don't spend time with them. That's the old way. The old way of this world, that's how the world functions. It makes people disappear when they disagree with them. This world seeks revenge. This world invests only when there's a return on the investment. There's no concept of freely giving away without the expectation that you're gonna get more in return. The main point here is that these two ways are not compatible. They're complete opposites. Jesus is making it abundantly clear. If you follow me, you have to let me define terms. When I say love your neighbor, I mean love them like I would love them. When I say be kind, it's because I'm kind and I define what kind looks like. If you're gonna follow me, you can't let the world define love because we've already established that the world is your old nature. So when you go back to them and you ask them to define these new terms that Jesus is asking us to follow, you're gonna be off track. You have to let scripture, God's word, tell you what these words mean. How do I love somebody? You have to study Christ's life and look at how he loved people because he was real kind to the sinners, but he wasn't real kind to the Pharisees. We have this image like Jesus is just such a nice guy. He's home. He's the kind of, he's my man. He's the kind of guy you want to hang out. He's always so kind. No, he wasn't. He wasn't always kind. 
He used sarcasm to put people in their place when those people were trying to use the word of God to put others in their place. So Jesus is saying, you, fought, if you, you wanna follow me? The old way can't be your normal anymore. The new normal is generosity. That's what's normal. And he gives us some examples. And it's so helpful because he helps us understand what this new way looks like. Because we can sit like, well, uh, what is the new way? Well, here's what the new way is. Think about somebody that you can't stand, that you hate, that you don't like being around, that gets on your nerves. Think of something nice to do for them and then do it. Ugh. Now you sit, now you get it. Now you understand why it's so tempting for Christians to take that and just kind of, I'll rip it out or I'll just refashion it to something that's a little bit easier to follow. That's why we do it. Because when Jesus looks at us and says, I want you to think of someone that you would not even consider in a normal day. Hold that person, and then think to yourself, what is something that you would want somebody to do for you? Now go out of your way and do it for that person that you overlook or ignore on a daily basis. Oh, that's so time consuming. That's like our whole day. If you just spend your whole day living open-handed and free and, and giving and not expecting anything in return, and trying to find, well, what's the thing that I would want somebody to do for me, that I'm gonna, I'm, gonna do it, I'm gonna do it to somebody else. Oh, that's so exhausting. The end result of that would probably be better marriages, right? Oh my gosh. Divorce rate would plummet. The church would be a light into the world. People would be like, oh, that's actually something I'd be interested in, in getting in on. Because that's a group of people who aren't like everybody else. Do you see what he's doing here? The new way really is a revolutionary new way. It's not like any other way. Let's continue verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Running over, it's gonna be poured into your lap with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. That's an illustration kind of lost on us when you'd go to the market and you'd get your little jar filled with grain. They'd set it down and they'd pour it up into the point where it was filled and then they'd start shaking it so the grain would settle so you could put more inside of it. But he's saying what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna settle it and pour more in it and settle it and then pour more and I'm gonna keep pouring until it spills over into your lap and you're gonna have to lift up your cloak and haul it all home. That's the image. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? This is important, because where he goes here is crucial. See, a disciple is not above his teacher. Everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's interesting, because he's been contrasting pretty wicked teachers. Why do you see the speck that is in your own brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that sawdust out of your eye when you have a two by four in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
And then he continues, and he just kind of, he's, he's shooting from the hip. For no good tree bears bad fruit. I don't say shooting from the hip like he's making this up. He's, 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 he's on a point where he's trying to make the same point over and over. He wants you to see this main point from different perspectives. He wants you understanding the importance of who you're following, your teacher, how it affects your roots, how it affects foundations, how it affects how you judge people and see the world. All of this is connected. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a, bear, a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from bramble bushes. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. But the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Because out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you. Church, why do you call him Lord, Lord, and not do what he tells you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house, could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground with a foundation when the stream broke against it. Immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. So Jesus is contrasting this old way and the new way and he's saying that even your sense of judgment is affected if you follow me in this new way. Now this is important to consider because Jesus is not saying you can't judge people in the sense that you can't use wisdom to determine the difference between good and evil. That's not what he's saying. That's how the world reinterprets that. Well, you can't judge me. Well, the word of God's pretty clear. I'm not actually the one judging you. It says that this is evil, so that's evil. Doesn't matter what you call it, you can call evil good and good evil, but there is a standard here and, and the creator is the one who established that, not me. So I'm not judging you, I'm just interpreting rightly. That's not what he's talking about though. What he's talking about here, because he starts going to the disciples and the teachers next, is he's addressing this way that the Pharisees had of clouding the message, of taking clear message from the word of God, things that were very easy to understand, and then manipulating them in such a way that they seemed a little bit more difficult so that the Pharisees could keep their jobs. What do, what do I mean by that? If the word of God is clear and it says this and I, and I just obey this and, and, and that's what God said, then, then there's no need for a middleman. I don't need a scribe to interpret the word of God if the word of God is clear. But if you make the word of God muddy, and if a pastor stands up here and preaches the word of God and says, ah, some of this stuff is really hard to understand, not a lot of people agree on it and you just have to trust me. Then it creates this sense that there is a job description I have that you can never aspire to. That the word of God is not something you can understand. It's not approachable. You need a guy like me to help you approach it. Because if you just approach it on your own, you're going to end up, man, there's no telling where you're going to. You need me. It's job security. And unfortunately, what the Pharisees were doing have continued into the church. And there's this sense that you can't have a relationship with God because you don't understand what his word says. You need somebody like me to interpret it for you. That's baloney. You don't need me. You're like, why am I here? Because <laughs> God commanded it. He commanded his people to gather together. But the purpose is you don't need to get fed once a week on Sundays. 
You can get in here and munch on this all week long. This is life. This is breath. This is bread. And if you don't, if the only time you eat is when I'm feeding it, you are malnourished. So this is what Jesus is bringing across. That the Pharisees had this old way of taking the message, changing it, you know, tweaking it in specific ways. It was created this barrier so that people couldn't approach God. They couldn't hear the truth. And essentially what they were doing was they were saying, look, I as a Pharisee, I'm judging who is worthy to hear this message. And whoever's worthy is, I don't know, whoever can afford it, whoever likes me. Those are the people I'm gonna spend time with to help them understand this. And here's the problem with it, and this is what Jesus addresses in the last part of this chapter. It wasn't just an issue of clouding the message, it was an issue of the teachers teaching Israel to then teach others to cloud the message. This is the problem. Because disciples produce disciples. And the Pharisees were creating more Pharisees. And they were creating inside of Israel this inability to see and hear. And their hardness of heart grew and grew and grew. Why? Because a teacher produces students and the students become like their teacher. But here's the thing, a student can't excel past their teacher. They can't, they can't get past whoever is instructing them. And this is what's interesting. The old way is producing this bad fruit, but it's also producing bad teachers. And I told you, this is the contrast, the old way and the new way. The old way is producing bad fruit, but it's also reproducing itself by producing bad teachers. So it's not enough to, if you're standing here listening to Jesus' message, what he's telling you is it's not enough to just consider your old actions in a new way. You have to also consider your old teachers in this new way. And that's one of the hardest things for us. Because what Jesus is asking these disciples and for us here today is not just to consider your behavior, actions, your obedience to Christ. He's also asking you to consider who's teaching you to follow Jesus. Now this question has a lot of answers. On the very surface level, it has to do with what commentaries you're reading. Who are you watching on YouTube? What church do you go to? What pastor is speaking into your life? Are they speaking truth or do they have an agenda? That's the very surface level of this. But as we talked earlier, the old way that produces old bad teachers doesn't just rest at the level of who is teaching me. Literally, who is my teacher? Because we live in a world where there are teachers everywhere. Don't miss this, especially if you're young. Unless someone is standing before, uh, right here behind a, a table or standing in a classroom lecturing, we have a very, we, we are unbelievably weak at identifying the teachers in our lives. Because unless they look like a teacher, we don't see them as a teacher. We miss the fact that those influencers who are speaking into your life on YouTube and Instagram, whatever social media, you're missing the fact that those are also teachers speaking into your life. If you're sitting in a classroom, 
You might see an actual professor at Florida State or whatever, and they're standing there, and they're, okay, well, I can, I can identify that teacher. That's cool. But, but have I really dissected the reality that my, th- like my playlist on, on my phone, the, the rappers I listen to, the, the, the drunk country music stars I listen to, those are teachers too. But their message is subtle because it's set to music. And it creates inside of you this desire to want to be somebody that's not you. To actually change. What do we call somebody who instructs somebody to be something different? We call them a teacher. You following? This is everywhere. This is in Hollywood. This is on TV. This is in music. This is, on, this is, this is sports. Moms... What mommy blogger is teaching you to raise your kids the way you are as opposed to the word of God trying to instruct you? Dads, what macho, this is a weird reach, but I get it. What macho uh, movie star from the 80s uh, are you trying to embody now in growing you know, that beard or that mustache or that hairstyle or going to the gym? Do you see where I'm going with it? It is everywhere. And if you're not paying attention to it, you're gonna get duped constantly. When you look in the mirror, the decisions you've made about your clothes and the way you talk and the way you think about it, where did that come from? Who's your teacher? Who's instructing you? Because if it's not the teacher, Jesus, if you're not looking at Christ and saying, man, I want you to instruct me. I want to live humble like that. I want to love people like you did. I want to serve people like you did. If you're not doing that, it, chances are it's because you're following some other teacher and you're not even aware that they are a teacher instructing you. But here's the other one. This is the most subtle one. Sometimes the teacher isn't external. Sometimes the teacher is internal. It's you. You don't follow anybody else. You don't care what anybody thinks. Well, good for you, except for the fact that you compete against yourself constantly and you are the one who's speaking to you. Question Luke wants you to consider at the end of this chapter is who is instructing you? Who is teaching you? Who is the primary voice in your life? Because if it isn't Christ and this new thing he's introducing you into, it is classified under old, old way, old man, old world, old law, old stuff. And that old stuff, all it does is produce more death and more old stuff. You follow where he's going with this? The contrast of old and new is important because of what Christ is doing in this new embodied Israel. But it lands heavy on us today because you have to consider, this is not something that was a 2,000 year old message. This is something resting right on you today. You have to leave this place and start doing inventory of your life. Who is speaking into my life? What attitudes, what atmospheres, what persona? And it may go all the way back to when you were 11 years old, and you might be 80. There's a lot of work to do. But if you don't start taking assessment of who your instructors and who your teachers are, you're gonna keep getting the same results you have. The offer that Christ has is come and forsake everything. Don't want anything of this world. Don't, Don't desire anything of this world. Don't have anything of this world. 
But it goes beyond just the things in our own life. It goes right down to the teaching level. Who is instructing you in your life? You have to rearrange your life so that you're not just being this moral person who's doing all the right things, but still being taught by a wicked generation. And this is my heart for young people in this room. I, I, I hurt for you. If you are 25 and under in this place, my heart breaks for you. I hate the world you're having to grow up in. This is miserable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish this culture and this world on my worst enemy. I can't believe the world you're having to grow up in. It breaks my heart because it's so filled with deception. Everywhere you look, it's a lie. Even things that seem to be true, no, that's an old fence. It's been whitewashed. That's not truth, that's not the real thing. Everywhere you look, something else is being sold to you. Some other image, some other thing to bow down and worship, some other thing to chase, and all of it has the same goal, to get you to stop chasing Jesus. I plead with you today. If you're over 25, great, this applies to you too, but man, if you're under 25, the weight that you're under, my heart breaks for you. And I'm telling you from Luke 6, the greatest thing that you could do with your life right now at 19, 13, 25 is to stop wanting the things of this world. To stop stockpiling the things of this world and pursue Jesus over everything. Okay? Now what I'm talking about, what I'm not saying is to sell everything and go live as a hermit in the woods or a monk in some, that's not what I'm saying. There is a difference between being close to these things, like look, you need a vehicle to travel, that's fine. I'm not saying you have to sell your car. I'm saying your heart can't be in your car. You you see me, what I'm talking about? I'm saying, look, you, you need a home to live in, that's fine, it, it can be as big as you want. What I'm saying is your, your home, it can't own you. That's the difference. And the enemy will come in even right now and he's saying, well, what you're saying is I gotta get rid of everything. Well, I'm not saying get rid of everything, I'm saying get rid of everything. You follow what I'm saying? There's a difference between owning something and that thing owning you. And I'm telling you, in this place, everyone listening to me, the greatest thing you could do is to liquidate, to not let anything in this world own you. Even the things that you own, they don't own you because you are owned by one thing and that is Christ. He is your teacher and he is all you want. Amen? All right, let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.